You're listening to Salvation, Part 5 of the Essential Series by Marty Shelton. For more information about the Church at Rutledge, visit us online at thechurchatrutledge.org. So we started the first week by talking about knowing why, the, why is this important? Why is it important to know this? And why is it important to have that, that foundation, those essential beliefs? And, you know, how easy it is to lose faith because it's circumstantial and things happen and all of a sudden you find yourself in a place where um, you're frustrated or you end up believing some messed up stuff because the teaching you get might not be biblically based. And so we looked at the we started off by saying that this is important for us to know. Then we looked at, in week two, uh, at the Bible and its validity as God's Word, without error, delivered to us from God. It's one of the ways that He has revealed Himself to us. And then week three, we looked at who God is, namely Father, Son, Holy Spirit, what's referred to as the Trinity, and some of God's attributes we looked at. And then last week we looked at creation for a moment, but focused our attention on humans and who we are and how He created us and how we were made and our condition of sin that we will further address today, which brings us to this in week five of salvation. And so this is a great day for you to be here, regardless of where you stand with Christ. If you're not a believer at all, skeptical, just exploring, if you're new to Christ, uh, if you've been a seasoned veteran and been a Christian for a long time, no matter where you are, this, this is for you this morning. This is a great message for anyone. Uh, I, I, I am more excited about this probably than anybody, and I want to start this morning by reading to you an interesting scripture. It's not in your bulletin. It won't be up here or anything. I just kind of... Uh, well, it might be up there. I don't know if I put Acts chapter 20 in there or not, but if it is, you can read along with me. If not, don't worry about turning there, but it's just a little illustration uh, to, about our attention span this morning. So just listen to this picture. It says in chapter 20 of Acts verse 7, on the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. And Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. Okay, so some of you are scared already, but this is Paul speaking, okay? He says, there were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on and on, okay? Some of you are like, "I, I, I live that every week, okay? When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground. This makes me feel much better, by the way. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Just a little warning. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. Then he went upstairs again and broke bread. So it's like, he's okay. And the guy gets up, and they go upstairs and have a snack, okay? And eight, after talking until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. And I don't know if that's from his words and him talking all night or for the fact that the kid was all right, okay? 
but they were greatly comforted. So here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking if we stayed around here at least till dark, something really interesting might happen. Okay? But I know we can't do that. Um, at least, you know, we, maybe till midnight. That's, that's, but anyway, the people in the back are the pe- ones that'd be going out the windows uh, with the kids so they, they wouldn't survive. Um, so I won't go on and on, and hopefully you won't fall asleep. Okay? But I, I do hope that something interesting happens this morning. And I know that God can do that, and regardless of time, because he's not constrained by that, something amazing can happen in your life and my life in this church this morning if we just focus for just a little while, okay? And I just want to start by us praying for that as we get into this message this morning. Would you pray with me? Father God, I just uh, come before you with excitement, one, about who you are, because you are so amazing. And God, you're going to have to help me this morning. Your Holy Spirit's going to have to speak because there's things that I just can't do, and I'm not powerful enough, but you are. And God, I can, I, you're going to have to help contain me a little bit this morning, uh, or turn me loose, whatever you want to do, but remember, I'm Baptist. But Father, I'm just, I am so excited about this morning, and, and I, just thinking about what you have done for us and your son, it just, it's overwhelming, and no matter how long you've been a Christian, it just, it should excite us. And so, Father, this morning, would you just do what I can't do? Just help open the minds of people to understand your word. That's what has power. And so, by your Holy Spirit, would you open our minds and our hearts this morning? And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Um, I hope what also happens this morning is that I can explain this in a way that helps you out of the thinking that has permeated churches throughout the Bible Belt, especially, you know, around here in, in the South. In, in churches today in America, there's all kinds of language that's wrong, well-meaning, but wrong. You've heard people say, uh, to be saved, you just ask Jesus into your heart. Okay, you've heard that. I've used that language, okay? You may have used that language, and so this is not a, man, you're, you're terrible but it's just to get us out of this thinking, okay, that, that you've heard people say, to be saved, you just ask Jesus into your heart. Anybody heard that before? Or just me? Okay, most people have heard that. That is nowhere in the Bible. Nowhere. Not found in the Bible. No concept of that in Scripture. But you see salvation approached that way a lot of times in churches in that way. It's this, you know, they want to baptize a lot of people and... So they have vacation Bible school, and some guy gets up, and at the end, and he get, they get all the kids together, and they do the IQ test. You know, it's, uh, okay, hell is really bad, and it's, it's scary, and the devil's there, and you'll be apart from God forever, and you'll burn forever. And uh, so, so that's hell, okay? Then there's heaven. There's two choices here. And then there's heaven. It's a great place. It's beautiful. It's joy and happiness and peace all the time. No sickness. Jesus is there. You get to be with God, and it's a wonderful place, okay? So who wants to go to hell? Careful. And, you know, and, then, and then it's like, and, and so you have these, and who wants to go to heaven? And, of course, everybody goes, yeah, heaven, you know? That, of the two choices, I'll take heaven, you know? And, and then, they, then they go, okay, so all you have to do is pray this prayer. All I have to do is pray a prayer? Sure, just pray a prayer. 
Well, I can do that, and I get to go to heaven? Okay, cool. And it's an IQ test. What idiot wouldn't go, if this is the way it really is, heaven, hell, prayer, prayer is all I got to do? Sure. And then they pray a prayer, and then they live their life the rest of the way out from there any way they want to, as though they're okay because they prayed a prayer, okay? And that's just not that you don't find that in the Bible. We've simplified things down to getting people to come down an aisle. That's, that's what we've tried to simplify it to. And, and some people think that it's a good service. If the, if the altar down here is full at the end of the service, then, man, it was a good service. That was awesome, you know. They say, boy, was it a good service. 30 people went down front today. And it's the same 30 people that's been coming down for the past 500 Sundays, okay? You'd think they would get it at some point, but it's like, and, I, and I'm not, I know people have good intentions, and, and God moves people in different ways in different places, or, or, or they go, oh, man, it was a bad Sunday. Nobody went down front. And, all, and at the rate that we're kicking preachers out of churches in the South, especially in the Baptist world, you know, the average is like 15 to 18 months that a pastor is at a church, which is, is just so off. It should not be that way. Something's wrong, okay? But at the rate pe- we're kicking pastors out of churches, what it does is pressure a pastor into thinking, well, to keep my job and for them to think I'm doing a good job, I've got to get a lot of people down here at, at the end of this service. So I start trying to manipulate people, not out of ill intentions, but I start, it pressures me to try to manipulate people to get them down front. So if we'll just sing one more, well, if we'll just sing one more, well, if we'll just sing, I know God's got somebody out here who needs to come down here because i got to keep my job, right? I mean, they don't say that, but it just, it, it pressures that, and that subconsciously that starts going on in people, and it's what created this mentality of we got to get a lot of people down front. Now, there are sincere, honest people who, who come down, get, become Christians, that that works, and it happens, okay? In spite of what may be going on on, on, on on a different level, God still uses that. I don't want to say that it's, it's completely out of bounds, okay? But it pressures pastors into trying to get as many people as we can to make decisions. And you can force people, you can get people to make decisions, but you can't force people to be Christians, okay? And so we simplify it down to getting somebody to pray a prayer. Now, that may be where it starts, Okay? May have started there for you as you were in a service and you prayed a prayer. Okay, but, but we'll talk more about what it's really all about and, and you know, how, what really is, you know, it, that stuff plays out and, and how your life changes is really evidence of whether the prayer, you meant what was going on or not, okay? But if a service or message or gospel presentation of salvation is evaluated by how many people went down front, then Jesus himself's in trouble, okay? Because Jesus preached a great message in John chapter 6, and everybody left. It says they went out, okay? So that in itself is not the evaluation of whether service is good or not, okay? We, we call this a safe place to hear a dangerous message, okay? You come, you sit, you listen. I'm going to pour out a whole bunch of truth that's really dangerous that can really mess up your life if you really take it in in a positive way. But I'm not going to pressure you. The Holy Spirit, God, he pressures you. We don't. So you just come and you listen and you just you take it in and God will work in you what, what needs to be. He'll draw you to himself. You'll feel that pressure and all that. That'll come from God and by his word. And I don't have to stand up here and do that to you. 
okay? And, and so, and that's why we don't do the walk forward imitation thing. We, we've done it a couple times, every now and then, however God leads, we may do that, but we respond in a different way here, and you can get saved sitting in your pew the same as you can down here. And it doesn't start to create this atmosphere where it's a good service if people went down front or not. I mean, it's obvious people's lives are changing in this church. And, and so, the, that's the real deal. You know, it's a, this is a safe place for you to hear a dangerous message versus a dangerous place where they may pressure you and try to get you into a decision to hear a safe message, which is just pray this prayer, okay? The Holy Spirit does the pressuring. The real deal is that lives are changed when salvation really comes to people and the fruits of the Spirit begin to be displayed in their life. And the evidence of becoming a Christian is a changed life. It's not, I prayed a prayer, I walked an aisle, I got baptized, all good things, not anything wrong with that, but that doesn't mean you're a Christian, okay? You know, it's, you're no longer living for yourself, as 2 Corinthians 5.15 says, and he died, he being Jesus, died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So you, you begin to live for the one who died for you. And I don't care how many people come down front um, or don't come. That, that, it, it's irrelevant to me. I want to know if God took over and changed somebody's life. That's what, I'm, that's what we're looking for around here. Changed lives, and that is only possible when Jesus is Lord of your life. You don't get the Savior part without the Lord part. Okay? Only Jesus can save us from our sin, from ourselves. John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He's it, the only way. And that's not popular teaching these days where everybody says that there's all roads to God and you can get there this way, this way, this way. And we talked about that before. Uh, Allah is not the same God of, of the Bible. Uh, it's not all the same. And go back and listen to some of the other messages in this series uh, to help you out with those issues, but it's not, Jesus is the only way. There's one truth and one way to heaven, one way to be restored to God and have a relationship with him, and that's through Jesus Christ. And what we saw last week was what is known as the fall of man, original sin for us, passed down from Adam to us. We all have a sin nature, born with it, and here's a big point this morning. There's nothing you can do about it. There's nothing you can do about it. Okay? And it's not that you're okay until you do something bad. You stand condemned already just given the fact that you're a human and born on this earth and have an earthly father. Okay? John 3.18 says, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Until you become a Christian, you stand condemned already. Even if you say, well, I'm a good person, or, you know, I, I, you know, I haven't robbed a bank yet or anything, okay? doesn't matter. You stand condemned already just by being born with a sin nature. The seed of sin was passed to you by your dad all the way down from Adam, and you would have done exactly what Adam did, and you have done exactly what Adam did, you want to be God of your own life, and you want to, everything to be about you. And that's your sin nature. We all have that in us, okay? You want to be God. 
every person here this morning stands condemned already or once, you know, they want, you once did before believing in Jesus Christ. Everyone is born in that condition except Jesus. He was not born of an earthly father. Remember when Mary, the angel, appeared to her and, and tells her that she's going to have this baby, that she's going to have this baby, she's going to name it Jesus, and, and all that stuff happens. When the angel comes to Mary to tell her, Mary says this to the angel in Luke 1, 34 and 35. She says, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? She's like, you, I'm young and kind of naive, but I know that you can't have a baby without certain things taking place, Okay. So that's not happened yet, so how in the world am I going to get pregnant, okay? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One will, to be born will be called the Son of God. And, and the angel tells her, you're, you're, this is not going to be through an earthly father, it's not going to be through Joseph, the Holy Spirit will, will be the one who provides uh, this impregnation that you're going to have. You're going to have this baby. He will be born of God. He will be the son of God. Okay. Therefore, he doesn't have the line of sin from Adam coming to him. He's born without sin. Okay. Because he didn't have an earthly dad. Mary conceived Jesus by the Holy Spirit, not Joseph. And then he lives a sinless life, making him the perfect, unblemished, holy sacrifice needed to satisfy a holy God. Jesus was and is fully God. We talked about that back when we talked about the Trinity. And, he, and we saw that, and he became incarnate. There's this word that you, that you see, incarnation, especially around Christmas time. You see the incarnate. Um, and he became incarnate through being born as a man. Incarnation literally just means embodied in flesh or taking on flesh. As Jesus did. He came from heaven, took on flesh, born as a man. Okay? And sin has broken your relationship with God and turned and caused God's wrath to come against us. To rise up and come against us. We deserve, there's two issues here that we're going to look at this morning that are fundamental to this. We deserve all of God's wrath because of what we have done in our sin because we have because of our sin it's not that we all deserve heaven and god is keeping us from it it's that we all deserve hell but god's providing a way for us to to go to heaven and not be in hell we often have a, a skewed view of of god is is so loving and he loves us so much why does he send us to hell no we we did that okay he's trying to keep us from it He's the one that's providing a way for you not to have to go through that, not to have to have that as eternity and be separated from him. We all deserve hell, but God's saving us from it. Our sin brings some issues, all of which are resolved by God himself. Two important issues are, as we saw last week, we fall short of the glory of God. Therefore, we cannot be in his presence, and our relationship with him is broken. Okay? Our sin separates us from God, and to be separated from God eternally is, is hell, literally, okay? Isaiah 59, 2 says, but your iniquities or sin have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. 
Your sin has separated you from him. Then there is the issue that God is a God of justice. And if you were here for Secret Church and, and went through all that teaching of David Platt, amazing things that I learned in that, that scripture there, in, in what he taught and about God. But, but there's this issue of God is a God of justice, okay? And therefore, sin can't go unpunished. Any of you ever feel that way? You look around and you go, why don't somebody do something? That's just wrong. Why doesn't somebody do something? And like you just feel this compulsion to want to make right what's been done wrong. You see something terrible happen to somebody and you want to fix it. That goes back to that whole thing we talked about of us being image bearers. We bear the image of God and there's something in us like God that says, I have to do something about it. That's God. That's who he is and he doesn't change and he is who he is. And so for him not to punish the sin... For him not to bring wrath against that would be for him to cease to be God. And if you go back to, to that, that te- it just so opened my mind up to understand this. Primarily, God sent Jesus to the cross to remain God and, and for himself, to bring glory to himself. That's how glory goes to him. He remains God because he continues to act as God, because sin cannot go unpunished. Okay? And since he doesn't want to send us all to hell forever, he provides a way for that to happen, and he becomes the one who does something about it. He's a God of love, so he has to do something. It's who he is, okay? And so there's the issue of justice. Not only separated him, and we, have, we need forgiveness, but justice must be done. For, for God not to act on our sin will cause God not to be God. It's why Satan was cast out of heaven. It's why Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden. And it's... And without Jesus intervening, we too face being cast down from him and suffering God's wrath, separated, facing his wrath. Forgiveness is needed and the punishment carried out so that the injustice is paid for. And the only one capable, remember I said you can't do this yourself. The only one capable of paying for this that has the ability to do it is God himself, is through Jesus. That's the only way, okay? That is where Jesus comes in and takes on our sin, on the cross, and faces our punishment and pays our debt. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I'm just going to read several scriptures here that allude to what I was just talking about. 1 Peter 2, 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, quoting uh, Old Testament scripture there. 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Now, righteous is a big word in the Bible, but you can just think of, as, of righteousness of, as being a right standing with God. If I'm righteous, I have a right standing with God. Not self-righteousness comes from self. It's a righteousness that comes from God and gives me a right standing with him, Okay? The righteous for the unrighteous, in other words, Jesus for us, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. And the same will happen with us, those who believe in Christ, trust in him. It's the beauty of the resurrection, and we too will die physically, but be alive with God forever spiritually. Okay? That 
there's a transferring there, and it's imputed to us, which we'll talk about in a minute, is, is we, we get to do that same, we get that same thing imputed to us because of what Jesus did for us. John 3, 3 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. And in a minute, we'll answer that question, what is eternal life? Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. You see that there? The sin, it separates us from him, but it also brings his wrath against us. Okay? Romans 2, 4 through 6, Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? You know how God responds to you in your, in your sin and when you mess up? With kindness, forbearance, and patience. Otherwise, he'd squash you, squash you like a bug, like Bill Churchill would say. He's giving you a chance. The reason you're still here is to give you a chance, and your family a chance, and everybody that's still out there that doesn't know God... You know, don't pray for the end to come real quick. I know we, need, we want Jesus to come back and all that stuff, but there's a part of us also that says, maybe he'll hold out to give my family a chance, to give my friends a chance, to give people I know a chance in his patience, kindness, forbearance, that he'll give us a chance. And that's why when the evangelism of the nations, when everybody's heard, that's when the end will come because that's, that's the goal is for everyone to know and to have a chance, okay? So... That leads us to repentance, and repentance is a huge word we'll talk about in a minute too. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, your, your heart that says, I want to do what I want to do, I want to go with the life I want, I don't want to turn from that and go with what Jesus has for me and go with the life that he has for me, because you will not repent, because of your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. It's not only do we have sin that separated us, the wrath's coming, okay? God will repay each person according to what they have done. So you, you, you've got this, these issues. Now remember, in the garden, Jesus prayed, let this cup pass, if, if at all possible, if there's any other way, God, as Jesus is praying in the garden, just before he's, he knows he's getting ready to be arrested and taken to be led to be crucified, he's saying, God, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. What was the cup? What does he mean by this cup? Okay? It's, it's God's wrath. Sin arose the fury, anger, and wrath of God. And so this cup that's before him to drink is God's wrath. Okay? As sinners, this means that we deserve to bear God's wrath against, against us, against sin. And we are sinners, so we deserve to bear that wrath. So Jesus, as our substitute, takes the wrath for us. So Jesus, as our substitute, takes it. It's satisfaction through substitution. There's a, there's a penalty to be paid Justice has to be served. His wrath has to be poured out on sin. And Jesus steps in as our substitute and says, I will take it for them, for all of them. That's why this cup is so full that he has to take because he's taking the wrath that everyone deserves upon himself. Okay? 
Our substitute, Jesus, became the object of God's fury, anger, and wrath so that we might not have to experience it. And that's what's going on in the cross and when Jesus is praying, and it's what he's praying about in the garden, okay? Jesus on the cross is turning away God's wrath, taking away our sin. He takes our sin upon himself, and he takes God's wrath upon himself. Now, there is actually two theological terms here, if you're into this stuff, because we're in this kind of classroom setting. is why we're, the teaching is the way it is and what we're doing. We're going through these basic teachings, okay? One is called expiation, okay, which means our sin is removed, taking away our sin. Jesus takes away our sin. To have sin expiated means taken away. It's removed, okay? Propitiation is another big Bible, you know, theological term that means God's wrath is now satisfied, okay? Jesus satisfied God's wrath. He paid the penalty, took the wrath upon himself, so now God is God and he has the, the wrath, his wrath has been satisfied, okay? Both had to be done. Both things had to be done. Sin forgiven, payment paid, wrath satisfied, okay? So Jesus becomes our redeemer. He makes us good again or right with, have a right standing with God. That's called righteousness. Not self-righteous, that doesn't get you anywhere, but a righteousness from God. And he does this, again, he, he enormously loves you, doesn't need you. You have to go back to what we talked about last week. He doesn't need you, but he wants you. He loves you, so he does this for you, okay? Because that's who he is. God is love, which existed in Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in the Trinity, and now he wants us to experience that. He loves us and wants us to be a part of it, okay? One preacher said, it's like you and I, standing in front of a, a dam, holding back water. And this dam is 10,000 miles high and 10,000 miles wide. And we're standing at back looking at this dam that is filled with water to the brim. And we're standing there, and in one instant, the dam is let loose, and all of the water comes rushing towards us. In the same way, the torrent of the wrath of God came rushing toward us. Now imagine as the water comes toward you, that the ground in, right in front of you, right before the water hits you, the ground in front of you opens up and swallows every single drop of that water. How would you feel in that moment? I mean, after you dry yourself off, not from the water, from yourself, okay, complete elation. You don't care anymore, okay? You're just like, of all life's problems, holy cow. This is just amazing, just complete elation. Nothing like it ever, okay? In that same way, Christ went to the cross. He took the full cup of God's wrath, and he drank down every single drop, turned it over, and cried, it is finished. That's what happened at the cross. He endured our condemnation. He experienced the wrath that was due for us. Our Redeemer, Christ, and if you're His, if you've given your life to Him, if you've repented and turned to Him, He now owns us forever, which is a beautiful thing. We're a part of the family. 
He endured our condemnation. Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe, we sing. Victory accomplished. Victory announced. This is where the resurrection comes in. The resurrection is the stamp that the payment is complete. The picture is Jesus on the cross saying, it is finished. And what He means is, it is finished. Okay? The price has been paid. The debt has been covered, completely covered. And the resurrection is God's announcement that, yes, payment has been made. You have nothing to pay. Don't work for it. You have nothing to pay. Victory awaits. This is not to say that redemption is complete, okay? There's another idea here, because we're not home yet, okay? We're not home yet. My wife, we were sitting at home, and she's studying, and I was sitting on the couch, and she said to me, she, we, we were talking a little bit, and then she says, I just, I, just don't feel, I just don't feel like I belong here. And I start thinking, is my wife leaving me or what, you know? I'm not sure what's going on. And she, I said, no, 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 like, I just don't feel like I belong, I just, I don't belong here. I wasn't made for here. I'm, I have this long, she just starts talking about the longing for heaven and, and just, I wouldn't, I'm not supposed to be here. I'm, I'm, I know I'm made for him, okay, kind of thing. And it was a wonderful conversation, but it's, it's that kind of thing of, we're not home yet. The, the cross takes care of it, and the resurrection says, it's guaranteed. You're not home yet, but it's guaranteed that you're going. We're going home, and the redemption of our bodies is going to happen. Yes, this one's deteriorating. We have to live in this cursed world, but the resurrection assures us that it's, it has been paid for, and you're going home. Okay, And that's salvation. And that ho- happens the moment you accept what Jesus has done for you and you turn and give your life to Him. You become a Christian instantly. But it doesn't make you perfect. That's why the redemption isn't complete. Then it's a process from there of becoming more and more like Christ. It's this big word called sanctification. That's just talking about you become, you know, God continue to work on you and you become more and more like Christ. It's a big word for that, okay? The cross makes clear our justification, okay, which is being made righteous. It justifies us before Him. Galatians 2, 15 through 20, I'm not going to read all of that, but it talks about how we believe in Christ and get to the end there. It says in there, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live but Christ who lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We're not justified by observing the law or the rules because we perform good enough of our own strength to earn this. He says in the very beginning there, but by faith in Jesus Christ. That's what does it. This is what justification is all about. Christ died for us It's based on His work, not us. And we're justified by what He did, not what we do. Made Him to be sin. This is Christ died for us. He made Him to be sin for us in order that we might be made the righteousness of God, which is, you look at 2 Corinthians 5, 20 and 21. It says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, which is a beautiful terminology, and I love that scripture. 
because it says that we get to actually represent God here on the earth. We're not home yet, but we get to, God makes his appeal to the world through us, okay? As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. In other words, go through this process, believe in Christ, you know, be justified, be forgiven of your sin, be, let the wrath be, the punishment be paid for and wrath taken away, be reconciled to him. God made him who had no sin, talking about Jesus, to be sin for us. Sanct- uh, satisfaction by substitution. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Listen to this. It's, it's, this is Heidelberg Catechism, question number 60. It's just, that's, don't worry about what, it, what that is. That's not the important thing. Just listen to what the, guy, what, the, what the answer is. Okay, it's statements made during the Reformation period in the 1500s in Heidelberg, Germany. Um, just, just let this soak into you just for a moment, okay? How, here's the question. Question number 60 says in that, how are you righteous before God? That's question 60. Answer, only by true faith in Jesus Christ. In spite of the fact that my conscience accuses me that I have grievously sinned against all the commandments of God and have not kept any one of them, and that I am still ever prone to all that is evil, nevertheless, God, without any merit of my own, out of pure grace, grants me the benefits of the perfect sacrifice of Christ, imputing... Okay, there's that, this, another big word. It's a substitution of value, you know, allowing us to represent as having the value of Christ even though we're not him. Okay, it gets, we get to represent that way even though it's not us, okay, because of what Christ did for It's imputed to us, okay? Imputing to me his righteousness and holiness as if I had never committed a single sin or had ever been sinful, having fulfilled myself all the obedience which Christ has carried out for me, if only, if only I accept such favor with a trusting heart. Let me explain this way. Years ago, a wealthy Englishman purchased a Rolls Royce, took his new car to France, and it had been advertised as the car of all cars. And this, this is the car of all cars. No problems could ever be had with this car. And when the man got the car to France, it broke down, okay? So he called the Rolls-Royce company, the folks in England, and they flew a mechanic to France to fix his car. And, of course, the man accepted or expected to get a really heavy bill. They had to fly a guy from another country to come fix it, okay? So, of course, the man expected to get a heavy bill from Rolls-Royce for sending somebody out and fixing his car, Months passed by, and he never heard from them. So finally he wrote them, and he said, I can pay the bill, just send it to me. And the Rolls-Royce company sent him a note back and said, I'm sorry, sir, but we have absolutely no record of anything ever having gone wrong with your car. Rolls-Royce gave the car imputed perfection giving the value of never having blemish or error, even though it did. But they themselves paid for it, for it to be made that way. 
That's, just, that's what God does for us. We're broken, and He comes, and He fixes us. He provides the way. It's all on His work and what He does. He totally takes care of the bill, and yet we get to sit back as though we're perfect, even though we're not. As He looks at us, that's what He sees when He sees Christ in us. Okay? When you have accepted what Jesus has done for you, the God of the universe has no record of anything else having gone wrong in your life. He looks upon you, even though you have, He looks upon you and sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and it's not that it's just swept under the rug and and pretends it's not there, okay? Some people have this thought process of, well, Jesus takes our sin, and He throws them away, and he, He doesn't remember it anymore, which you know, of course, isn't true, but you think Jesus, you know, you think God doesn't know the story of David? You think he doesn't know, know any of these guys in the Bible that did things? For, you know, that book is full of people who messed up, and God still used them for great things. So obviously he remembers, and he, he, he knows what happens because he's all-knowing, but, but it's not held against us anymore. And he pushes it to the side and says, all that's irrelevant. I see Christ in you now. And, and that stuff is just, I don't see it anymore. It doesn't matter what you've done. David committed adultery with another guy's wife and then tried to have the guy killed. Okay? I mean, what in the world? Are, I mean, eventually killed. And it's one of these things of, what, what in the world? I mean, what, what have you done? I mean, we'll get to it at the end. I'm skipping ahead of myself. But I just, I just love the picture when Peter's at Pentecost. You know, Jesus has died and on the cross. He's resurrected, appears to all these people. And, and over a period of 40 days, he ascends back to heaven at the right hand of the Father, right? And then the guys are there in the room, and they're like, well, he told us to stay here. What do we do now? Okay? And the Holy Spirit comes and empowers them to go preach the gospel to the world. And then Peter steps out there, and he preaches. And what's he tell them? You killed God! Okay? And he says to them, he says, of all things, you, you know the, the Christ that you, we just buried and we saw him he's alive again you killed him and it says that the people standing there were cut to the heart okay they knew that what they had done was wrong they went oh my gosh we're in trouble and if you feel that that's the holy spirit that's god speaking to you saying you realize your state you you understand this that that sin has brought god's wrath against you and you need forgiveness because you're separated from him okay and, and they say, what do we do? And what's Peter say? He says, repent, which means you're going this way in life. You think you've got it all together. You want to do certain things with your life. And you see Jesus and you go, but he's the truth. This is a lie. This is going to get me nowhere. Look at what he's done for me. I, I want that life. I want to follow him. I want you to be Lord of my life. You guide me. You lead me. It's all about you now. That's repentance. That's turning. You know, a lot of people want forgiveness for their sins, but they don't necessarily want to repent and turn from them. Because we do this all, we play this game all the time, right? The sin bucket game, go out and fill my bucket up through the week. Then I come in here in church and I, God, forgive me. Because you're, if you, we ask, he's 
faithful and just to forgive. So, you know, he has to because that's what his word says. So we dump out our sin bucket on the altar and then go back out and fill it up back up during the week. And we think this somehow that works. Okay? But the Bible preaches repentance, which is not just asking forgiveness. It's like Bryce pulling... Anybody in here ever got pulled over by Bryce? I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that to you. <laughs> Ron, you have? A cop pulling over a cop. That's interesting. I'd like to have been there for that conversation. Okay? Um, but it's, it's one of those things of thank you for your honesty, okay? Authentic environment. That's what we do, okay? Um, I've been pulled over by Bryce. But anyway, um, I think... It might, well, anyway... That's irrelevant. I'm getting way off track. Okay, it's like Bryce pulling you over, okay? Anytime a cop pulls you over and he walks up to the, and he's, you know why I pulled you over? What's usually the first word, if you're honest, what's usually the first word out of your mouth? Yes, I do. I know what I did. I'm sorry, okay? We say that to cops all the time, don't we? Sir, officer, I'm sorry. How many times a day do you hear that, Bryce, Ron? You guys hear that a lot. I'm sorry, Okay, but you and me both know what, whether he writes you a ticket or not or whatever happens, when you pull away and he's out of sight, what do you do? You start speeding again. Now, were you really sorry? (laughs) Sorry you got caught, but you were not sorry for speeding, okay? What you just should look at him and just from now on, if you want to be honest, just say, gosh, officer, I'm sorry I got caught. Okay, just do it that way. I'm so sorry I got caught. This just upsets me terribly. Okay? Because, you know, repentance would be, officer, oh, man, I'm so sorry. And then you drive away going, I'm not going to speed anymore. That's what repentance. A lot of people want to look at God and go, hey, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Okay, I'm forgiven. And we run out to do it again. Fill up that bucket. Right? It, it doesn't work. God's not that dumb, okay? What he's looking for is, I understand what this sin has done between me and you. I am so sorry, and I'm, I walk away going, I'm just, I'm not going to do that again because I do not want to be separated from God. I do, not want, I do not want to do that to our relationship, okay? And I have no idea where I'm at anymore, okay? So, and, and that's the deal. It's, it's you understanding what, what that... When you have accepted what Jesus has done for you, the God of the universe has no record of anything having done wrong in your life. He looks at you and sees the righteousness of Christ, not that it's swept under a rug and it goes away. Okay? The point, that's the point of the cross. He's taken it all. That's justification. And as a result, don't miss this part, we are not working for righteousness. Get the wording here. Now we're not working for righteousness to, be made, to have a right standing with God. We're working from righteousness. Because He has given us a right standing with God, we're working out of that. We're not working for it, we're working from it. Okay? That's where I expected my holy cows out there to give me a mmm. Okay? That's a, that's a big difference and a big understanding. Okay? Titus 3.5 says, He saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. That changes everything. Changes everything. Well, how is that? 
there's a pastor writer, Sinclair Ferguson, he says, how easily we fall into the trap of assuming that we remain justified only so long as there is grounds in our character for justification. Get gra- I want you to really grasp this right here, okay? We fall into the trap of assuming that we remain justified and that we've come to Christ only so long as the, there is grounds in our character for justification. You don't work to be made right before God, believe by faith in Christ, and, that's what, and then you're right before God. The cross makes possible our sanctification, not just our justification, okay? Christ now lives in us. We're in Christ, Christ in us. It's the whole picture and promise of the Holy Spirit and God working out our salvation. Philippians chapter 2, my favorite scripture of, of, of all. You just read that sometime. It's just, oh, it just gets into you, okay? It's be careful. Here's what he's saying. Be careful of doing works out of trying to pay Christ back, okay? Yes, we sing, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. As a truth of understanding, I can't pay it back. But, but all I owed is Jesus paid it all. I owe him for the fact that I don't owe, okay? I owe the fact that I can be in relationship to God with him, to him. And all that is worth anything in my life, I owe to Christ and what he did. Not because of anything I can do. It's a statement of grace, okay? All to him I owe. The payment of sin was ours, all of it, but he took it for us. And out of love and his empowerment, we begin to do things for him out of love, out of gratitude, because we want to. Not because we're doing it to maintain our salvation. And out of love and his empowerment, we do these things. But as soon, the moment we begin any thought of trying to pay Christ back, we undercut the whole point of grace. You just you knock out its foundation, okay? It's grace because it can't be paid back. You can't pay it back, okay? We're not in debt to Christ. We're indwelt by Christ, okay? This is where I'm going to get real emotional, so you're going to have to hold on, okay? This is the reality. When we talk about the cross, oftentimes we talk about what Christ did for us, which is fine. And sometimes that, be, that becomes our focus of what Christ did for me. And it's that same kind of focus of same mentality that I prayed a prayer once. I walked an aisle once. I got baptized once. That's all back there in the past. It's something I did. Okay? But it's also who you now are and anything good that you'll ever do in the future. Okay? The reality is anything that good that I do now is still based on Christ. Okay? Anything good that I do in the future is still based on Christ. It's not just some past thing that happened and we just go on with life. I prayed that prayer, I'm good, and I just go on living my life. However, I'm, if I'm redeemed by him, I'm still living by his power. My entire life is based on his indwelling presence in me. It's what Colossians 1 is all about. Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
The cross clears up our justification, makes possible our sanctification, and the cross makes certain our glorification. Romans 8, 29 through 31 says, For those God foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, to be sanctified, to become like His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those He predestined, He also called. Those He called, He also justified. Those He justified, He also glorified. You see that in there. The cross clears up our justification, makes possible for us. It clears up our penalty that's due, and we get forgiveness and takes the wrath away, justification. It makes possible our sanctification, which is becoming like Christ and life carrying on in the power that is His. And the cross makes certain our glorification that we get to be in heaven and glory. And everything that we do becomes a reflection of the one who made us. And people look even at our deeds and things and go, look at what He did. His God must be great. Okay? It's by His working that you are saved in the first place. It's by His working that you will continue to be saved. If you are His through Jesus Christ, He will complete the work He has started in you. Scripture promises it. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion to the day of Christ Jesus. If Holy Spirit gets in you, he'll take you to the end. What about, I mean, we get in all kinds of deals about people who get it for a while and don't and all that stuff. If he got you, you're his, he's going to take you on. question becomes, did he get you? Okay? It takes time, but he will continue to work in you. You become a Christian instantly, but you become more Christ-like gradually. But he will complete the work he starts in you. It's a good way to know that you're His. How do I know that I'm a Christian? Well, what's He doing in your life? When's the last time you heard from God? What did He tell you? You have a relationship with Him, then those things are going to go on. You're going to have an going relationship, so don't worry about the prayer you prayed a long time ago. What did He tell you lately? Did you do what He tell you, told you to do? How's He changed you lately? That's evidence. Fruits of the Spirit are evidence of being Christian. Okay? What are you doing with your life? This is the wrong question. What is he doing with your life? Once you are truly his, you'll always be his, and he is the one that completes it. You didn't do anything to earn it, and you therefore can't unearn it. It's not based on your works of righteousness to get it. Part of the family forever. It's eternal life that he gives, not temporal life. Okay? And it's, i got to jump in here. Now, Old Testament was all about what? You remember what they had to do for their sins back in the Old Testament? Sacrifice the animals over and over and over. Every time, I have to go back. I've sinned. Here's, a, here's my best squirrel or whatever. You know, it's, here's a, a dove. Here's the best lamb was what was used. Okay? You, you had certain animals you'd take, and you'd, you'd take that. I just did that to throw some of you all off. Maybe you'll read your Bible. Okay? Um, you, you take this lamb, you know, not the one leaned up against the fence with a messed up leg and one eye messed up. Okay, you took the perfect lamb and you take it to the priest to the altar. He sacrifices it for your sin, and that's the system God set up in the Old Testament. And then Jesus comes, and now there's a new system. Okay, that system was a bunch of band aids until Christ came, and then and, and when He came, He's the healer who takes care of. The, he, you don't need band aids anymore. He just heals it all. Okay, payment never fully satisfied 
by, a, by the sacrifice of one of those animals in the Old Testament. You had to keep doing it over and over and over, okay? In the New Testament, Jesus is sent, and now it's, it's taken care of forever, okay? Band-Aid until there, and then the healer comes. I was reading this this morning, okay? And I just got plum giddy, okay? And, and I want to read this to you. Um, it's not in your bulletin. You can write it down. But it's in Romans chapter 6. And I just, I've told you guys, I get excited about something. I just stood up and upstairs and I just, the band was practicing down this here, here this morning. Jesus paid it all was playing. I just got all excited. I started pacing upstairs. This is where if I were a more excitable person, and, you know, and I, I'd do a big Ric Flair yell, but I, I, that's not me. So, but, but this just got me so excited when I was reading this this morning. Uh, chapter 6. Um, I'm going to start in verse 8. I told him that, that verse 9 through 11, but I'm going to start in verse 8, uh, and then you can catch up on verse 9. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Okay, verse 9. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Okay? Death no longer has mastery over him. I could preach on this for a whole till midnight. Listen, the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Here's the pivotal thing in this in everything I was reading this morning that just I went, oh my gosh. Okay? Verse eleven. In the same way. Just as he's not ever gonna die again. He's not, he doesn't have to go to the cross again. It's paid good for, for good. He's been raised. He's, it, it, all that's happened, okay? In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to talk about not letting sin reign in your mortal bodies, okay? So if we were to, in other words, even if you sin, you're not dead because you got Christ in you. Not that you'll keep on sinning, get into conviction and God's going to chastise his children and those things. But it's saying, in the same way, just as Christ was raised from the dead and he cannot die again, death no longer has mastery over him. He died to sin once for all and he lives to God. In the same way, if you're a Christian, sorry, this is just me, I'm just going to turn into a real preacher if that's okay. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin but alive in Christ. In the same way, we're raised from the dead because the penalty of sin is death, right? So now we don't, ha we don't have the penalty of death anymore if we're, if, if we're made alive in Christ. And we cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over us. So once you're His, you, you can't not do that because it's based on what He did. And if He's in you, you have this power, okay? I'm glad that excites you too, Okay? <laughs> Do not offer your parts as instruments of weakness. Rather, offer yourselves to God as though, have been brought, as though you have been brought from death to life. Verse 14, it says, For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, you're under grace. If you're under law, then you're in trouble. And you might not have what you think you have, but you're under grace. It has nothing, the rest of your life and living has nothing to do with you and your power. It's the grace of Christ that just carries you on. Okay? I want to close by reading this, this quote to you. 
that I heard John Piper say at a conference. Nearly, I'm going to cry again. Okay? But this is just really special to me. I had no idea this was going to happen. But about 12 years ago, I went to this conference called One Day with Passion. And it's just cool that Sue McBee is sitting out here because she went with us. Okay? And uh, we took a bunch of young people and we went to this conference. There's like 50,000 college students there. And we're listening to John Piper talk. And he, I'm going to, I've shared this in our church many times, but I've never quoted it directly. And I'm going to quote it directly this morning. Uh, and I want to read you what he said at this conference. And he said these words, and I just don't think I can improve on them, okay? I've told this ever since I heard it because it had such a profound impact on my life. Huge impact. But I've never quoted, always paraphrased it, but here it is exactly. Because this is what this transfers into, and I'm going to go somewhere with this at the end. But you've got to understand the point I'm making here, okay? Because this is what, when, when you get all this stuff I just talked about, this is how it changes your life. It turns everything upside down. Your perspective changes, okay? He said, you don't have to know a lot of things for your life to make a lasting difference in the world. But you do have to know a few great things that matter and be willing to live for them and die for them. The people that make a durable difference in the world are not the people who have mastered many things, thank goodness, but have been mastered by a few great things. If you want your life to count, if you want the ripple effect of the pebbles you drop to become waves that reach the end of the earth and roll on for centuries into eternity, you don't have to have a high IQ. You don't have to have good looks. You don't have to have riches. You don't have to, you, you don't have to come from a fine family or fine school. You, don't ha you have to know a few great, majestic, unchanging, obvious, simple, glorious things and be set on fire by them. He continued and said, But I know that not all of you want to make a difference. There are many of you, you don't care if you make a lasting difference for something great. You just want people to like you. Or if you could just grow up and have a good job with a good wife and a couple of good kids and a nice car and long weekends with a few good friends, a fun retirement and quick and easy death and no hell, if you could have that, you'd be satisfied. And he said, that's a tragedy in the making. Then he used two illustrations. He said, three weeks ago, we got word at our church that Ruby Elias and Laura Edwards had both been killed in Cameroon. Ruby was over 80, single all her life. She poured it out for the one great thing, to make Jesus Christ known among the unreached, the poor and the sick. Laura was a widow, a medical doctor pushing 80 years old and serving at Ruby's side in Cameroon. The brakes failed and the car went off the cliff, and they were both killed instantly. He says, and I asked my people, was that a tragedy? Two lives driven by one great vision spent in unheralded service to the perishing poor for the glory of Jesus Christ. Two decades 
after almost all their American counterparts have retired to throw their lives away on the trifles in Florida and New Mexico. No, that's not a tragedy. That is glory. I'll tell you what a tragedy is, he said. I'll read to you from Reader's Digest what a tragedy is. And it says this in that Reader's Digest he read from. Bob and Penny took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, trawler, play softball, and collect shells. The American dream. Come to the end of your life, your one and only life, and let the last great work before you give an account to your Creator be... I collected shells. See my shells, God? That's a tragedy, and people today are spending billions of dollars to to persuade you to embrace that tragic dream. And I want to plead with you, don't buy it. And then he pleaded for us not to buy it. I'm telling you that Christ died for you and brought salvation to you for more than what we so easily resolve to living for. And so this morning I want to speak to every teenager, every college student, every young person, every married couple, every senior adult in this room, and I want to plead with you to make your life count for one thing, not to be consumed by nice, comfortable life, great retirement, sports, hunting, golf, video games, being popular and pretty, and trips to all the places that people deserve to go to. That's what we think. Right? Am I just speaking to myself? I hope not. I'm pleading with you not to make your life about Disney World or the next great car or the next house you're going to get, okay? Rather to be consumed by one thing, to be obsessed by one thing, and that one thing is Jesus Christ. And I want to submit to you this morning that if your life is not consumed with Christ and His sacrifice on the cross, you will waste your one and only life in this world. It will be wasted. 1 Corinthians 1.18 for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It's why Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Christ and Him crucified is everything. It's everything. There is nothing else. It's everything. Let's pray this morning.